Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another Bastards Hot Stove edition of the podcast. This is the first episode of the new year. Hope everyone had a safe and uh, happy New Year's. 2023 wasn't so great for me personally. I won't, uh, you know, I won't get into the depressing reasons why. <laughs> but uh, hopefully, uh, 2024 will, uh, you know, will be better. Uh, so no news as far as trades or acquisitions, but uh, there was a report from Mass Live on, let's see, Sunday that revealed the Red Sox had a hard spending limit in 2023 of $225 million. So Heim Bloom was not allowed to exceed that. The luxury tax was 233, so that hard cap was only 8 million under. And we were over the luxury tax the previous year, so this shouldn't be a huge shock that perhaps ownership wanted to get under it for at least one year to reset the penalties. Uh, we'll also be going over some other stuff as well. There was more in that report. Apparently, the Red Sox want to shed payroll a little bit more before pursuing a key free agent. No hints as to who that is, but... We'll, uh, we'll speculate on that a little bit, and then maybe some more Chris Sale thoughts uh, on that trade in the final segment. The previous show covering that was pretty short, so we can give some extended thoughts on that. Cody Paulson, Nick Face, with me for this episode. How are you, gentlemen? Doing pretty well. Hope everybody out there is having a happy and healthy 2024. Um, always excited to be able to talk shop. We're starting to get things rolling here a little bit. I think this is all the the action and the hot stove, the moves, um, you know, things that we had been hoping to see earlier in the off season to kind of talk about, to have an idea of what to expect going into spring training. And now we're kind of up against it on a, on a timeline. But you know, better late than never. Terry, Nick, how are you guys doing tonight? Choking on Happy my Gatorade. New year. Yeah, yeah. Don't be choking over there. Uh, <laughs> I'm hopeful for also a better 2024. Uh, Health-wise, everything was great and all, but it was a little bit of a struggle, especially if you're a small business owner and everything. It was a grind. It was some days great, some days bad, your staff being inconsistent. So kind of started the year out like that again today. But we move forward and we hope for good days. But overall, I'm hoping for 2024 to be the year that the Red Sox can get themselves into playoff contention and build a team that we can all be happy about and root for. That will be nice. I asked for that for Santa. I don't know if he's going to deliver it or not, but we'll see. Not surprised you still believe in Santa Claus, Nick. Um, I mean, I was named after Santa, Terry. I mean, how can I not? And I play Santa. So, I mean, Christmas 365 here. I hate kids. I, I could never do it. I could never be like, what do you want for Christmas? And uh, for some reason, when I was little, uh, you know, you know, kindergarten age, I was afraid of Santa at the mall, like terrified. And maybe maybe my intuition was correct, you know, because it's a you know, it's a creepy world we live in. So 
anyway, let's stay off of that. Let's get back to baseball. Uh, so this report, Cody, w- what's your reaction to it? Surprised, not surprised as far as the hard cap for 2023? I would say it's probably the most disappointing news that we have received over the last three to four years uh, through all of the trudge and sludge that we had endured. Knowing that ownership was going into years with spending limits, um, I think is the most disheartening aspect of all, right? You have an ownership group that is trying to get a seat at the table at the PGA Tour and the PIF deal. You have an ownership group that's trying to set aside upwards of a billion dollars to sign Mbappe to Liverpool. Their focus isn't on the Red Sox, yet they continue to drive up prices for Fenway Park. They continue to have this cash cow of the Red Sox print the money. And they say that they're focused on championships. They want to have a winning culture. They only care about championships. Well, then act like it, right? You're not behaving like a team that wants to win. You look at teams like the Dodgers, the Yankees, the Mets, teams that have the payroll, that can bring in the money, that can afford to pay the luxury tax, that are going at it to win. You even have teams like the Rangers, who I could argue don't have that kind of fan support that are pushing all their chips into the table. Now, if you want to make the argument, you don't want to go over the luxury tax multiple years because you want to pay the penalties, fine. But back-to-back years isn't going to kill you. Now, saying going over the luxury tax the year before, thinking you might have had a chance to win it all, might have been a fool's errand, I can agree with that because I don't think on paper either one of these teams the past couple of years really had a chance at making a deep postseason run. Um, you piggyback that on the fact that they're trying to say, hey, in order to pr- um, – pursue some of these free agencies, free agents as aggressive as we'd like. We need to shed additional payroll. We're $35 million underneath the luxury tax right now. What additional payroll do you need to shed? You can go out and get a top of the line starter and still have plenty of plenty of money to play with. Um, so, you know, this, this small market mentality, this, uh, I guess, just refusal to allocate the resources to the Red Sox while still uh, asking fans to spend their hard-earned money to go and watch this product i think is you know intellectually dishonest and you know for there to be reports coming out about the ownership group this way i think is quite telling um you know i think the media has been pretty friendly with the ownership group in um in boston largely because you know they i believe own the globe right so like you got to know who who kind of pays your checks there so uh, and uh, there could be a tide turning. This could be putting pressure on the ownership group to actually open up that that pocketbook or back up the Brinks truck, whatever you'd like to say. And we might be able to see some more competitive moves because it's an arms race in baseball. It always has been. And if you're not willing to, to pony up to the table, you're going to get left behind. Nick, thoughts on the report? Oh, I'm so full throttle on this. I know that's the theme that everybody loves with this whole phrase and words that Tom Werner echoed at the end of the season press conference and everything with my puppet master friend, Sam Kennedy, but I'm just, it's, it makes me sick to my stomach. I I feel like the generation that we got in a way from 2004, seven, 13, 18 and everything, I guess in a way we should be a little bit more grateful for what we got a chance to witness and see and experience. I mean, from the 2000s to 2020, we may never see in our lifetime again another 20 years of just historically amazing teams that were championship caliber. Because right now, I feel like it's just the dark days of hell right now. It's 
nope, we don't want to pay for this person. We want to trade Kenley Jansen because we can't afford him anymore. We want to just completely be a small market team. When you have an owner who's over, whose worth is over $4 billion, it's comical. It's, it's disgusting. It's, this is this is this is embarrassing in in my eyes to be a, a Boston sports fan right now, where you have to see your team just kind of punt. Oh, we don't really want to sign this person. We'll we'll just kind of get the next best piece of garbage sometimes, and just hopeful that the person or pitcher or player can just be semi decent. But to have the highest paid tickets in town, the highest paid hot dogs, beer, you name it, to see a product on the field that is not playoff caliber is sickening. You know, I put great stock into the article. I mean, this came from Chris Cotillo. I think he's got great sources and information from everything. And at the end of the article and everything that came, I want to read the quote that was um, addressed at the end because I think that's going to help a lot of people in our audience let things kind of sit in and tell you the real story of what is coming for this 2024 team. He quotes, I've talked to a lot of agents this week, and I made it a point to talk to rival executives, talk to agents to see what the Red Sox were doing a few of them were just very clear. The Red Sox are acting like a small market team. They like my player, but they are not going to be aggressive bidders. So that right there just claims to me, because I don't even think we have information out there that they even made a dollar figure amount on Yamamoto. I don't think there's been any offer made to a Blake Snell. And I highly doubt that they've even given Jordan Montgomery any kind of Oh, it's going to be a five-year, $160-$70 million deal. I don't even think they've exchanged dollar figures with any of these guys because I think that they are so focused right now on getting rid of Kenley Jansen, you know, who's probably going to go in the Hall of Fame as a closer. And who are you going to replace that with? Like, I get it that you want to kind of move forward. He's a li- he's getting older and everything like that. But that is not what a big market team does. It's just not. You add pieces on. You know, I made a point on one of my tweets from before. I know some people are okay with moving Kenley Jansen. The only way I'm okay with this is if you are able to put somebody else in that role that you can confidently say they are going to get the save and get the job done. I'm not going back to 2019 and 2020 on 2022, where you had closer by committee or Matt Barnes out there getting his you know what shelled time and time again. I'm not doing that anymore. So I want to call it as is and and actually put the words out there that says this is unacceptable. Go out there and go be a big market team like you should be. And enough with the nonsense. So this message is crystal clear to you, John Henry. You, Tom Warner, and you, puppet boy, Sam Kennedy, get your damn acts together because I'm sick and tired of getting embarrassed as a Red Sox fan. Rant over. So I I don't really have strong feelings, uh, you know, in regards to that report. It doesn't shock me. 
I don't want to perpetually be over the luxury tax. Ideally, you would reset it at least every third season. And if you're over it for five, six years in a row, well, a bunch of dumb decisions got made. And for the casuals in the audience, the reason why you want to be under it isn't so much the financial penalties of being over it. It's the draft penalties that hurt you. So your picks are going to get lowered and lowered and lowered every year. And then your, especially your compensation picks. So let's say, uh, who's a free agent? Let, this probably would not happen, but let's say the Red Sox gave Nick Pavetta the qualifying offer at the end of the year. He would have to either accept that, which means he's going to come back for $20 million. And if he goes, you know what? I think I can get a much better deal. And he probably would out on the open market. He would go to free agency and then whichever team signs him, the, the Red Sox would get basically a compensation pick, usually between the first and second round. But if you've been over the luxury tax three years in a row, instead of that pick being, you know, 32nd, 33rd overall, it could be 50th overall. And that that's a big deal. That's a big deal. So you don't want to constantly be in that situation every year. <clears throat> so... I'm not shocked. Now, the Red Sox could have, you could make the case to where they could have been over it last year, exceeded it this year. And the reason I say that is because in 2025, you only have $133 million on the books. The luxury tax threshold that season is 241. So that would have been an easy year to reset it had they been over last year and over this year. Uh, at the end of this year, you've got a lot of money coming off the books. Chris Sale's full contract will be off the books. We're still paying 17 million of that even after the trade. Kenley Jansen is off the books. That's 16 million. Uh, Chris Martin off the books. That's 8 million. Both Nick Pavetta and Tyler O'Neill are both estimated to be making about five or six million this year. They would come off the books. So that that's how you get, you know, a lot lower. So I don't have strong feelings about it. Now, when that report was released, the Bluminati, who had all been pretty quiet, you know, the last couple of months, seemed to think that this exonerated Heim Bloom. This exonerated him. Ownership put a lot of roadblocks in there. I don't, that's not the case to me. And here's why. Last winter, he signed Yoshida, Jansen, Martin, and Kluber for a combined 52 million. Okay. And the thing that doomed the Red Sox more than anything was the rotation. So perhaps you stay off of Yoshida, allocate that money to a starter. And then you don't give Corey Kluber $10 million, You give it to someone else. Maybe 2023 looks a little different. You know, the priorities were in the wrong place. And the fact that Bloom went out and got Jansen and Martin for a combined $24 million a year, that basically confirms to me that Bloom had a false sense of security with his rotation. For him to be invest, uh, investing in the bullpen that heavily... He thought the rotation was going to be far better than it was, and it wasn't. And then the irony is you didn't get as much of Jansen and Martin as you, you wanted. You got more of Mauricio Yovera, Joe Jakes, because the rotation just couldn't get to the bullpen with a lead. 
So that that's number two. And as far as exon exonerating Bloom, some of the other stuff still holds true. His trade record on trades not good. His best two, arguably, the Nick Pavetta trade, who's a back end of the rotation guy, uh, and then the you know the Vasquez to Houston deal where we got uh, Valdez and Abreu. Those are the two best trades. I don't count the Schwarber trade because it was a rental. It wasn't anything that was going to improve the Red Sox long term. It, it was a good trade for that season. I'll, and I'll give Bloom credit that, and it worked out okay. But but in the long term, I mean, there's just so many things. He didn't fire Dave Bush like he probably should have after 2022. Um, you know, there his record in so many other areas was just poor. And the Bluminati will say, well, he, he built the farm system. Well, he did sort of, but part of that, he benefited from his own incompetence. Okay. Because you don't draft Anthony and Teal if you're not in last place the season before, you know, you had pretty good picks to be able to get those guys. And then they punted on 2020 to get Meyer anyway, you know, and that was fine. I, I, I didn't have a problem in 2020 punting on that season but the rest of them after that i just it's hard for me to exonerate bloom here but cody you want to say something yeah i don't i don't view it as necessarily an exoneration of bloom but i do definitely think it should alter the way that his tenure does get remembered uh you can't cherry pick which deals you decide to give credit to or not get credit to the move is made you have to either give him credit for making it or, you know, bash him for making it, right? It's it's either a win or a loss because it's black and white. There's no gray area. Um, last offseason, yes, the rotation was an absolute abhorrent product, but there wasn't anybody on the free agent market last year that we really had a shot at getting that would have made any difference. The year prior, had our bullpen been a resemblance of any sort of major league talent, we probably won an additional 10 to 12 games. And it was absolutely addressed going into last season. Now, you're absolutely correct. We didn't necessarily get to take the ball from the starter to that bullpen. But having Martin, having Jansen, having those roles solidified within the bullpen when the game went according to plan, it was a much different product. Um, knowing that there are such stringent financial limitations upon this team really in my opinion, just like hamstrings your ability to do anything, right? And you, there is no way that anybody is ever going to be able to defend the Corey Kluber deal. No matter how much money that is, no wonder, even if he's giving us $10 million, I would have passed on it, right? But you got to get people in there and you got to get people that'll take the ball every fifth day or however many days to go and do whatever Kluber did. But it does... I was pretty lukewarm on Bloom by the end of it. I was, I think, a big Bloom uh, supporter at the beginning. And then, you know, through the waterfall of reports and lack of moves or the moves that were made, I, you know, it got harder and harder and harder to be like, hey, this is the guy that's going to be able to, uh, you know, deliver a winning culture in Boston. But this report does change a lot of that for me. I wouldn't say it completely swings me back to the other side of that fence, but it does um, shed some light just to the operating conditions that uh, Bloom had to work with. Well, I mean, a couple of the guys we could have targeted last winter um, were uh, Kodai Singa, uh, another one we could have targeted. 
uh, was Chris Bassett. Uh, I, you know, there, there were moves that could have been made. I mean, just imagine if you got Wade Miley instead of Corey Kluber. I mean, Miley's Well, been- let's also say, too, here, I mean, the biggest thing that stands out to me with Bloom, I'll give him some credit for the bullpen. And I know it was more of a result with putting Winkowski and some other guys in those roles to make it happen. But the biggest thing that peed me off from last offseason for what he did was Kluber and Waka and not having Avaldi back. I know it would have costed money. I understand all that. But the one thing that Nate Avaldi did here in Boston is prove that he was a big game pitcher. And that right there is one of the colossal mistakes in my eyes that was made with Bloom because you had that opportunity. Avaldi wanted to come back here, but monies and dollars and everything got in the way from it. So that right there was, okay, Waka's gone. Okay, we're going to re-put Kluber in play. And Avaldi gone. So in a way, you, you, you lost two for Kluber in a way, and you weakened your entire rotation from the get-go. Uh, the Avaldi point is categorically false. Avaldi chose to go to the open market. They had a contract. They had it presented to Avaldi. He said no. He wanted to test the market. He went out there. He didn't get what he thought he wanted or what he thought he could get. Came back to Boston. Boston already done the Martin, the Jansen, and the Yoshida deals. The money wasn't there for him anymore. That's when he went to Texas. It has been well documented that that's what happened with Avaldi. We gave him the opportunity to sign with Boston, and he chose to go to free agency. Now, letting Waka go, sure. We could have absolutely done more to keep him here. He had a great year in San Diego. I forget where he ended up this year. But the Avaldi the thing has been beaten to death. Terry, you are going to say something? Yeah, I mean, that is correct. Um, he initially rejected whatever Bloom offered him, which was more than what he got from Texas, by the way. So we know it was more than that. Um, I think he signed a two-year uh, $34 million deal, uh, with Texas. So I don't know if it was a third year that he ended up missing out on. Maybe Bloom offered him three. Maybe it was for 20 million a year. I, I don't know, but I was not a proponent for Nathan Avaldi. And if you, if you look at his trajectory last year, he completely went in the toilet the second half and then magically flipped the switch in the playoffs like we saw with Aaron Nola, like we saw with Brandon Fott with the Diamondbacks. Ranger Suarez with the Phillies flipped the switch. Evaldi did it too. It's crazy how that happens, but um but you know it did. I'm not you know I'm not crazy, but I just think other other moves could have happened there to to possibly keep us in contention and Another thing, too, that can't be overstated here, he botched the last two trade deadlines. His botching of the 2022 deadline is what created that hard cap last year. He could have traded Nathan Avoldi in 2022, got under it, probably gotten at least one nice prospect, you would think, uh, in the deal, maybe a couple even. Um, and, you know, and... It is what it is. That's so the Bloom era. If Heim Bloom was still in the front office right now, even with that whole thing being revealed with the hard cap last year, I'm not. I'm not excited about this year. I'm not an optimist. Suddenly, you know, and we'll see. I don't know where Breslow's going, but the Giolito. I mean, I've calmed down quite a bit 
in the last week since the Giolito move. Uh, we'll get into the Chris Sale move here in a minute, but Cody, you had more thoughts? Yeah, I was just going to second that, right? You know, I, I think it's an absolutely more than fair statement to say, report or not, if, uh, if Bloom was still the GM, I don't think we'd be any more um, excited going into the season. I think, you know, we would still kind of be wondering, you know, what is the direction of this team? What are we going to be doing? I think he absolutely bossed the 22 deadline. Um, not getting on that luxury tax in a year that you were not competitive is inexcusable. That is, that is absolutely uh, true. Um, yeah, go ahead, Nick. Um, Cody, on your point with Evaldi, um, it wasn't the matter of just uh, the whole thing that went down. I get the whole point that he had an offer. He went to test free agency. I get that. My thing that I wanted to more look at was the fact that it gave me vibes of how other deals got botched more so beginning of the season where you let the player get into the free agency standpoint, and then you're basically screwed on that point. So that's where in past you have that same kind of issue with John Lester. Heck, you can even go back to 04 with the whole Nomar thing with contracts. And that was more on Nomar and everything like that. But, but those, those sometimes become sensitive topics for some fans that are out there because you've had these players in your luxury you've seen them win you've seen them do great things for you and sometimes the team just doesn't back up and support that certain player to keep them here we could even say the same that could go with sometimes i get i got like Derek lowe and nathan avaldi comparisons because they both kind of struggled a little bit but then they knew how to turn it on when the big games and the big lights were there so i think in a way that's where that sensitivity comes into play where it's like Shit, there goes another one. He's off to another team, and lo and behold, you know, he goes and wins a World Series. So that that's the only point I was trying to get across from that. That's all. So you would have liked to see uh, an extension be given out, like, prior to him having the opportunity to go to free agency. So, like, similar to what happened after after 18 when we extended him basically on the backs of James Similar Green. to something okay. that was like that, because I think the number may have been a little bit lower because he did enjoy being in Boston a lot. Not like a hometown discount in a way, but something a little bit maybe lower than probably what he got with the Rangers. I think he would have been happy with. That's all. Another thing you you could kind of say Bloom might have screwed up on was not giving Evaldi the qualifying offer. Worst case, he takes it and you have him for a year. And, and at that point, I'm like, okay, oh, fine. I can live I can live with Evaldi for a year. I can't live with another three. And last year worked out okay for Evaldi. I wouldn't say it was a slam dunk during the season. Uh, the postseason obviously puts it over the top and, and probably will justify his contract for the re- next two years, regardless of how healthy he is. But but Bloom could have offered him the qualifying offer. I'm, I'm guessing Evaldi probably says no, doesn't take it, and now we at least get a draft pick. So you know, not not a not a good example of Heim uh, thinking on his feet there. But uh, let's move on to another aspect of that report. Again, this was from Chris Cotillo of Mass Live. And if anyone wonders why we cite his reports the most, that's the only site you can read for free anymore. If you want to read Pete Abraham, sure. Alex Spear, 
you're 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 subscribing to the Boston Globe. I do have an athletic uh you know membership, but that that's more to read guys like Ken Rosenthal and a couple of those other guys. Jen McCaffrey and Chad Jennings are both um with the athletic and and they cover the Red Sox, but they also don't really break stories for the most part. Um, but anyway, so again, the, the report from Cotillo said the Red Sox intend to shed payroll this winter, uh, before going after another free agent more aggressively. And that's interesting to me because they don't, they don't really give any hints as to who that free agent is. I think everybody's hoping it's Jordan Montgomery at this point. But who knows, maybe there's something in Blake Snell that they value. And we talked about a couple episodes ago how they could do a more creative deal with him, maybe three or four years at really high annual value. And, you know, I'd be more open to that, especially on a three-year deal. But but anyway, uh, who knows where what they're really looking at here. But it makes sense to me. I mean, who's who do you who do you trade to free up money? Cause it, to me, it has to be Jansen at 16 million. There's nobody else. I would say the only other player that you could have some sort of maybe package deal with would be maybe Yoshida. That's it would be an interesting take because I think the Red Sox were really banking on Yoshida in a way, helping to get potentially it could have been Yamamoto, could have been Otani, who knows. So maybe the Red Sox don't value him as high anymore. Pure speculation on my part, but it's just a thought to see if that's something that they might want to clear. Because I also think that the Red Sox, after seeing year one, may look at Yoshida now as a DH type, which – they kind of have a little bit too many DH types right now or could be going into the season. So maybe they want a more versatile left fielder that could do some other things. Just a thought. I mean, the way that this team is currently constructed, you cut off one head and, and two more pop up in terms of problems, right? I don't, I don't really know if we're at the luxury to where we can afford to, to lose a player, let alone a player that we've allocated significant financial resources to in hopes of, of, you know, filling that with, with somebody else, right? Now, Yoshida, I think, is an astute observation as that could be somebody, um, you know, that might free up our outfield rotation, give us a better or a more clear idea of what, um, you know, a DH spot looks like unless they're trying to move Yoshida out to get to Oscar Hernandez. Who knows, right? It's the, the world is our, you know, very medium-priced oyster, uh, but we we just got a closer for the first time since literally 2018. Like our bullpen has been in flux except for the 2021 postseason with Whitlock, and it has been an absolute mess. One, and I, I said this earlier, Jansen being there, locking it down with the rolls. Maybe they move Martin from the eighth to the ninth. I'm not really sure, but you know, if you were to move Story, his value is low. If you were to move Yoshida, he just showed that he didn't finish the season well. So you're you're selling at a low point. So, like, it really has to come back to Jansen as the only player that started the season strong, finished the season strong, and proves that he has still, you know, has staying power and, and, and high value. There's not really a player on this team that you could say, hey, 
you know, you know, you're getting a hundred pennies for the dollar. Um, everything else would be kind of at a discount. I would be really open to, to moving Jansen because like you said, I'm, I'm fine with Chris Martin in, in the ninth inning. And if you like him in the eighth, I'm fine with Whitlock in the ninth inning. I think you got tons of depth there. You're going to have Zach Kelly back who has some upside. Uh, Josh Winkowski, uh, you know, had a pretty good year. Uh, Tanner Houck could be in that bullpen as well. Uh, John Schreiber still with us. So I just think there's incredible depth there um, to, you know, be able to move on from a guy like Chris Martin. I also put out a tweet last night on my personal account saying, you know, if you could move Jansen and Yoshida, you're freeing up $34 million there. That would be massive. And the, and I got a lot of resistance, uh, you know, in a couple of different ways. Some people just don't want to move on from Yoshida because they, they think he's gonna, he's gonna improve this year. And I, I agree with that. I, I think he probably will have a better 2024, uh, and then some people were saying, well, who's going to take on that that contract? And, you know, the the market really isn't isn't robust. You got Cody Bellinger, who who wants to pay eight years mega money to him? I don't. Then you've got Teoscar Hernandez and then and then Yoshida. If if Hernandez comes off the board, I think Yoshida does look a little bit attractive to a team that's right-handed heavy. I think suddenly he looks very attractive there and that would allow you to kind of pivot here to either make a trade for an outfielder, do something creative. But here's another thing too. You could wait till the trade deadline to make that move. Also, if Duran is tearing it up and so is Abreu, okay, then Masataka looks a little bit more, uh, you know, a little bit more expendable. And then if you want to do it next winter, maybe, maybe Roman Anthony comes up in September and just completely tears it up. And now you're confident in him going forward in 2025. You got tons of righties though, too. So uh, tons of lefties rather. And that's another reason why it makes sense. If we were a righty heavy team, I would probably be hesitant to trade Yoshida. I, I don't hate Yoshida, but it, it's just a tough fit right now. And he's a bad defender and you could put him at DH and that's fine. But I, I just, I don't know. It's just, it's a very awkward fit for us, but I think Jansen is more likely to go. And if you think about it, that covers most, that 16 million covers most of what a guy like Jordan Montgomery is going to get. You know, if he gets 25 million a year, I think that's on the high end, but you're only, you're only paying 9 million more to, to get him into that rotation. So I, this is why I'm a little bit more excited. I, I I'm starting to see it a little bit. It's just, I just don't have the confidence right now in Breslow's execution. And the reason why I don't have the confidence is because I haven't really seen it yet. So we can, 
it's still a little early. A lot of those free agents are still on the board. Uh, and actually, one thing I want to kind of get out of the way. Did you guys see the what they wanted from the Reds for Dylan Cease? They wanted his... Um, already came off the page. They basically wanted the Reds' uh, second-ranked prospect, third-ranked prospect, fourth-ranked prospect, and their sixth-ranked prospect. And their second, third, and fourth-ranked ones are actually in the MLB Top 100. So that's a massive deal. And we'll, we'll get into the Chris Sale thing here in a second, but just look at the Braves' list of priorities. And that's the front office that's very transparent, by the way. They, they always give you an idea of where they're trying to go. And they wanted Aaron Nola. They missed out on him. So they said, okay, we're going to prioritize Sonny Gray. Well, he goes to the Cardinals. Then the Dylan Cease rumors came out. And the Dodgers were interested too. And the Dodgers end up going with Glass now. And the, the Rays, uh, excuse me, the Braves have have pivoted to Chris sale. So nobody wants to, no one's going to give up their farm for Dylan cease. The white Sox are figuring that out now. And they have a first year GM named Chris gets. I'm not familiar. I know he's an ex player and he's been in their front office for a while, but, um, but it doesn't look like a guy like cease is getting moved at, at the asking prices that, uh, they're asking for. So uh, with that, let's go ahead and transition uh, just to kind of get you guys' thoughts. Jason and I were both, um, you know, on the previous show, reacted to the Chris Sale trade within minutes. And I woke up at 2.11 p.m. because I had done Uber that night. I went to bed at like 6 or 7 a.m. and woke up, you know, 6 or 7 hours later at 2.11 p.m., Passon broke the story at 2.08. So imagine my confusion as I'm looking at my phone at 2.11 a.m. <laughs> like, what just happened? And uh, Chris Sale traded for Vaughn Grissom. Uh, Cody, go ahead. Thoughts on that? Uh, it, it's muddy with Chris Sale, right? I mean, you know, you look back to, to when we did acquire him, you know, it took a couple of our top prospects in Kopech and in Moncada. You got a guy that was a five-time All-Star, five consecutive top five Cy Young finishes. You know, really, really shocking uh, that he never got one. Um, but, you know, everything that we gave up was was fine, right? Because he delivered us the World Series in, in 2018. You know, it might not have been a main contributor as, as his health, you know, seemingly faltered down the stretch, but he got that last strikeout and a memorable one at that. Um, you know, then we gave him that extension. I think it was what five one forty five, if I'm not mistaken. Um, That's correct. Thank you. Um, and you know, I think at the time people were like, "Look, World Series. He's an ace. He's a top of the line guy. You, you, you at least see the vision." And then he just he just couldn't stay healthy. And that extension is probably at least part of the reason why Mookie Betts isn't on this team. Um, you know, whether that be free agency or COVID or whatever else you want to say, you have to think some of the money allocated to Chris Hale could have been used to, to maybe make a better uh, a better offer to Mookie. But I was I was so excited for Chris Sale, um, you know, when we got that trade and, you know, Sale Day, the seven, eight innings, one run, 10 strikeouts. The guy always competed, you know seemingly never did anything wrong. He was never really in the spotlight, um, you know, until he had all of his 
you know, rehab starts, he's, he's punching TVs, he's frustrated, he's having some bad luck. Um, but if you look at it from the X's and the O's, we offloaded a player that we might not get much out of the next couple of years for a highly um, rated prospect. I think he was, what, number 77 in Baseball America's top prospects. He plays um, shortstop. Uh, I think we're going to use him at second base. I think he becomes our de facto second baseman on the opening day roster. Uh, you know, above average bat, I think he hit 330 in AAA, 280 at the major leagues. A net neutral at second base defensively. Uh, struggled a little bit more at shortstop, so that part's not ideal as, you know, we've had some issues on the defensive side of the ball recently. But Chris Hale has been sitting on our team for a while, and he hasn't been in between the foul lines. He's been on the bench. He's been on the injured reserve. He's been in Pawtucket. So, um, as much as I love sale, as much as I love watching him pitch for the Red Sox to be able to get something back, knowing that it's a, a young player that's 22, 23 with a lot of years of control sale could have another freak injury, um, and, and be out, you know, I think it's a savvy move. Uh, I think what we're sending 17 million out of his 27.5 million, um, left that he's owed. So, you know, there are some additional cap savings there that might allow us to be a little bit more aggressive in those free agent pursuits, apparently, <laughs> um, so, you know, if you're just looking at the cold numbers of it, I think it's a, it's a pretty good deal. Um, it'll be weird watching him pitch for the Braves. I think that they're structured well enough to take on a contract like this or, or a player like this with the risks that he does offer. You know, they got Morton, they got Strider, they got Freed. Um, so, you know, you just hope for the best. I think baseball's more fun when Chris Sale's pitching. I think he has the highest strikeouts per nine innings uh, in, in Major League history for a starting pitcher. Uh, and you hope he can just re- kind of regain that form. Um, you know, it's nice that it's a National League team, so we don't have to see him, you know, five or six times a, a year. But I wish him all the best. Nick, go ahead. Yeah, Terry and I did the breakdown of that show um, on YouTube. If you guys have not seen that or our audience out there, make sure you go and check that show out. Again, with Bastards of Boston on YouTube. I was stunned when the news came because one of the things that I think we're learning on the go here with how Craig Breslow operates is he's sneaky. He doesn't let a lot of things out into the media. And this one was one of the ones that I'm looking much like you, Terry, with your reaction. I was working at the time and I dropped my blender bottle behind my counter. I'm like, wait, what? Chris Sale just got traded? What? And I made a giant mess and I had to clean it up. But we don't have to worry about a giant mess anymore that Chris Sale brings because now he's the Braves problem. I'm not saying that I'm not grateful for the time that Chris Sale was here. You know, Chris Sale helped to get that 2018 world championship, no doubt about it. But I think the sad truth of the reality here is a lot of fans are going to remember Chris Sale for pretty much being a disappointment. Um, It's sad to say it because the guy had so much potential, so many great tools, Big strikeouts. I love the trade when it happened. I remember being at one of those schools before I was going in to teach with some of the kids. And I was like, oh, this is great. Because I didn't see much Michael Kopech and Jan Mankata back then being a part of the Red Sox in their future. So I was happy with the package that they gave the White Sox and everything to bring sale here. I knew the compete level was always going to be there. I knew that the care and the desire and the just the ability to go out there and pitch a big game was good. We were going to see that, but the freak injuries, the 
not being able to command the ball well, the home runs given up, especially in the past two, three years, we're trying to see what the heck he was going to put out day after day or to each start that he was there. It was frustrating. It was frustrating. I myself going into this season didn't really put much stock into what I was going to see for sale. Didn't expect him to pitch much, truthfully, and to get uh, this Vaughn Grissom guy from the Braves who comes as a great potential option for the Red Sox to restore some youth, number one, but to get somebody that's up the middle, pretty talented. I do think that they have to work on some defense with him big time. I'm a little concerned on the second base defense right there. That's potentially where he's going to play. It's where they're going to need him. I don't see any other spot that he's going to be able to slide into. I think the bat will fit at Fenway well. It's going to be the matter of how much they can actually get out of him defensively. This is where Brian Butterfield back in the day was just one of the best coaches with that infield preparation and getting the most out of things. Almost in a way, wish he was still a part of the team because he was big on the defense and getting guys in the best shape and kind of knowing their way around the diamond. And I hope that the Red Sox do have somebody that is going to work with him and be hitting buckets and buckets and buckets of balls at second base and working with Story to get some kind of good uh, winning uh, winning tandem there up the middle. So we'll see what happens from it. I um, I'm Overall, thank you, Chris Sale. It's time to move on. I'm just glad it's over. You know, I'm glad we don't have to, you know, when he goes on a four game streak of just nothing but nastiness hearing, you know, the Chris Sale huggers go, he's back, he's back, he's back to his Hall of Fame self only for a weird injury to occur and then take him out for six to eight weeks. Uh, I'm not going to miss that. Um, you know, he, he was a, an easy guy to root for, you know, you didn't want him to fail, you never questioned his desire to win. Like that was always very apparent. Uh, so from, from the human element side, you know, there was a lot to like, but you know, from the performance and durability side, there was a lot to be pessimistic about. I did not like that contract at all. And I eviscerated it right away that day. And not only was it bad, it was worse than I ever imagined it could be. <laughs> and, you know, it is what it is. It's it's funny how he waived his no trade clause. Like, you could tell, like, he was obviously, he needed a change of scenery. And I think he knew that. And going to Atlanta, that's a very low-pressure situation for him, you know, Cody, you mentioned it. You've got Spencer Strider, who is like the new strikeout king of MLB and probably will win two or three Cy Youngs before his career is up. Max Freed, Charlie Morton, Chris Sale can settle into their four spot there and just kind of relax. And a team that's like an offensive wagon all around him, you know, you got you got Murphy at the plate. You got Olsen at first. You've got Albies at second, Riley at third, Acuna in the outfield. Um, Ozuna is kind of a dirtbag, but, you know, he is a he is a powerhouse. 
Um, that that's just a team that's just a wagon, and it, it's gonna be fun. It, it's almost gonna be like the 2018 team that he well he came in at 2017, but still that was still a you know a fun team, and arguably, I mean, Rick Porcello was still pretty decent. David Price was a member of that rotation. And um, so it's, I would describe that as a, a situation that's, that's very similar. So we get, we get a young prospect back. That's going to cost us $750,000. So that's a very inexpensive um, option to put in there at second. I don't know how many games he's played at second, if at all, um, he is a shortstop. That's what he came up as. There was, I think, some intention to to play him in left field down there in Atlanta. But you know, this trade obviously um, will will change that course. And Breslow has already said he'll be our everyday second baseman. So I'm hoping that. With Trevor Story there, that's a that's an excellent defender. He's going to have to his right. Maybe Story can help him out. You know, Dustin Pedroia will be in spring training. Um, that could, you know, obviously uh, lend some insight and uh, hopefully some some pointers for him. But I'm willing to try it for one year, and uh, I'm just glad the Chris Sale era is over. Now, looking at that rotation, is it better? Not necessarily, but it's a lot more durable. I mean, Giolito has been a horse his whole career. Um, Bayo pitched uh, a lot of innings last year. No reason to expect him to to pitch any less than that. Uh, Nick Pavetta, also a horse. Cutter Crawford, I don't know how many innings he pitched, but it, it had to have been at least 120, 130 and I don't see why Tanner Houck couldn't if he's put in that rotation. And we're still expecting uh, another arm anyway. So at present, this is a very durable rotation. You just need some, you, you just need the pitching to be a little bit more higher end than it's been. But you got a new pitching coach as well. So we'll see. Any uh, final thoughts? No. All right. So we will wrap on that. Uh, maybe I, I don't know if we'll be back in the midweek. It's always the goal, but it just kind of depends on, uh, you know, how things develop here with the Sox. If another team uh, makes a move, particularly maybe an AL East team, we'll, we'll come back and cover that as well. But everybody have a nice shortened week. I'm assuming everybody's going to be excuse me, headed back on Tuesday morning. So uh, we'll be keeping you company and uh, we'll be back as things develop. Take care.